Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. If there is never a dull moment when it comes to the SEC, off-season, in-season, whatever else. This is, I mean, you know, it's one of those things where, like, sometimes marketing messages really are true. You've heard it sit on the SEC network, the SEC's slogan, it just means more. There are countless examples of that over and over again of how when it comes to SEC football, it sort of just does mean more, or the SEC in general. There are stops pulled out in the SEC that you kind of don't see other places. Maybe an example of that here over the course of the last 24 hours or so. So as Nick Williams, who is kind of a rising star in the coaching ranks, you know, a guy that obviously played at Georgia and has been, you know, a you know, I guess starts a graduate assistant, kind of moves on to that sort of analyst role at Georgia. Now he's now leaving for a similar position there at Texas A&M. Williams putting this out on social media. Uh, he's going to A&M to become a, a defensive analyst. He had been working most recently kind of underneath Trey Scott, Georgia's defensive line coach. Williams kind of moving around there. And on the one hand, this is kind of good professional advice, right? If you're watching the way that Nick Williams is operated here, uh, this is kind of how, if you were looking to get a big-time college job, this is kind of what, how you would do it. You kind of lean on you know, a school that you know. You work your way up the ranks there. Obviously, right now, Georgia doesn't have any openings in its kind of on-field coaching spot. It's you know leaning on sort of veteran presences there when it comes to uh, that situation. So Williams says, okay, I'll go coach defensive line now, and I'll learn that spot. I move from defensive back over to defensive line. I'll learn that. And then maybe I'll go over to another SEC school and, you know, kind of develop some new ties, some new networking relationships, all in the mindset of eventually that'll lead me to be what I want to be, one of those coveted 10 spots as an on-field coach somewhere in the SEC. That seems to be the way that Williams is going about this. So on the one hand, this is very much by the numbers for how you would move your way up the professional coaching ranks. But on the other hand, this is also one of those moves that has a way of feeling like the continuation of the never-ending SEC recruiting soap opera. Because as Jeff Sintel wrote at DogNation.com yesterday, that this is more than just professional development for Williams. This is also a chance to maybe for A&M to kind of get back involved in a recruitment that it has been involved with and trying to be involved with for the entirety of the 2022 cycle. What Jeff Sintel writes for Dog Nation. Williams, who's now on his way to Texas A&M, was heavily, heavily involved in the recruitment of several big-name defensive line prospects for Georgia in the 2022 cycle, Jeff Sintel says, including five-star defensive tackle Big Bear Alexander, who, of course, you know as a UGA commit. So, on the one hand, this sort of looks like, hey, a guy that's just kind of trying to you know, work his way around the SEC, find that networking relationship that will eventually allow him to be an on-field coach. But on the other hand, this is has the appearance of Texas A&M looking at one of their big in-state recruiting losses, Bear Alexander, UGA commit, and saying, what do we do to get back in this thing? What do we do to you know try to make him, Alexander, reconsider A&M a little bit more? What if we go higher away? One of the Georgia staffers who our Dog Nation recruiting insider Jeff Sintel says uh, that Alexander was pretty close with. Now, I think that's really interesting. Do I think that hiring Williams will will steer Bear Alexander away from Georgia towards Texas A&M? I guess I probably don't. Now, I have said the entire time, and this is one of those things where, you know, I guess my kind of, you know, mindset as a, 
you know, young young person kind of influenced by Larry Munson. A lot of you kind of remember, you know, Munson as the former Georgia, you know, play by play great, just like the voice of my childhood in so many ways. And one of the things that Munson was somewhat famous for was, you know, his kind of pessimistic take on things. And you know, he, you know, every team that Georgia was playing was the greatest team of all time, and every challenge was sort of this, you know, insurmountable challenge. And those of us who grew up on Munson sort of grew up dealing with a lot of that kind of stuff. And so I guess I have a tendency to sort of see Georgia football sometimes through glasses colored by by that kind of thing and I've always felt like that Georgia holding on to Alexander was going to be a big challenge even before you talk about you know bringing a guy like Nick Williams over to Texas A&M for the simple fact that we're talking about a big time defensive line prospect from the state of Texas with these Texas programs A&M obviously maybe most prominently included here uh, kind of trying to fight to get back in this thing I've sort of never felt like it was over and done with Big Bear Alexander I've always sort of felt like that this was going to be a recruitment that Georgia was going to have to continue to roll up its sleeves to win I don't think that changes here nor do I think the Williams thing sort of swings the balance of power in favor of the Aggies it is just something worth watching here a very interesting move by a program in Texas A&M that has all the money in the world and obviously choosing to use it right here now could have Georgia matched it with Williams if they felt like it was the the the, the Trump card they they clearly could have matched that money and the fact that they chose not to maybe kind of tells you what you need to know about their feeling on this Bear Alexander recruitment or the Mikhail Williams recruitment or any of the other recruitments that that Nick Williams has been prominent in for Georgia uh smoke uh, Dion Bowie uh there as well so, so maybe Georgia still feels like it's in a pretty good place here all I'm saying is is this is just really interesting now to kind of shift gears but stay on a similar topic so let's say in the light of the Nick Williams departure, you're saying, well, what does Georgia need to do to stay in the good graces of a guy like Alexander or other defensive line recruits that, that Williams may have been a big factor in? If, if, if Georgia's going to have to reboot its recruiting efforts, not able to lean on Williams anymore for some of this now that he's working at Texas A&M, what comes next? Now, I think it's fairly obvious, first of all, that Georgia has been recruiting at an incredibly high level at its defensive line positions for the last few recruiting cycles. I think that Georgia's defensive line coach, Trey Scott, is a star on the rise, both in terms of who he's brought into this program. Are you happy to have Jalen Carter? Are you happy to have Trayvon Walker? Are you happy to have you know some of these other, uh, other guys we've seen matriculate into the program as of late? As a Georgia fan, you certainly are. Also, for the development that's ongoing for some of these guys on the Georgia roster there as well. So if you want to stay you know in the bear alexander business the mikhail williams business or if you want to start thinking about like the walter nolans or the travis shaws or any of those big names that are out there then obviously the next step for georgia is to see big season this year for some of those georgia defensive linemen who we have big expectations for and if that happens then listen the recruiting for these georgia defensive linemen is going to take care of itself and really this is kind of the continuation of where we've been on the show for the last few days and uh, just to kind of remind you because this time of year some people are kind of in and out you maybe not get to hear every single word that i speak as much as that <laughs> as much as i'd love for that not to be true maybe you're not always hanging on each and every word that comes out of my mouth over the course of the last couple of weeks but in the aftermath of the nfl draft the other day what we couldn't help but notice was the huge 
you know, just correlation that seemed to exist between these teams that win national championships, Clemson in 2018, LSU in 2019, Alabama in 2020, and gigantic numbers, like a half dozen at least for each of the three teams that I just mentioned, either in the draft right after their national championship or the last couple of drafts since then. There's just a huge connection between winning a national championship and producing a bunch of first round picks. So therefore we said, listen, if you look at the Georgia roster and if you can't identify at least six guys who have the potential either now or in the future of being a first round pick in the NFL draft, then you're probably not in the national championship business as much as you might like to be. So we've kind of run through all the positions. Last week we did offense. We talked about quarterback and JT Daniels and the multiple wide receivers you probably need to get there, the situation for Georgia running back, the offensive line stuff that was interesting from a Friday show. And I had a chance to kind of follow up on that with John Stinchcomb a little bit yesterday. And we shifted our gears to defense yesterday too. We said, listen, when you see a lot of these early look-aheads to the 2022 draft and all the conversations there, the name that you don't seem to see as much is a guy like N'Kobe Dean. But I asked Georgia fans on yesterday's show, when you think about the best players in this Georgia defense, do you put Dean in a category lower than some of the other names that are more prominently featured in these kind of discussions? And I think the assumption I'll make is, and we all made on yesterday's show, is no. Dean is not someone that most Georgia fans have in a category below other Georgia players. There's a very chance that Dean is Georgia's best player. I mean, that's that's a threshold of possibility available for him this upcoming season. And so we kind of did that from the linebacker spot yesterday. Now on the defensive line and appropriate to do this. And so we were just talking about Bear Alexander a moment ago. And this is maybe the most interesting position of all for Georgia because of just how good it can be. And in particular, right there in the center, the interior of that defensive line, the big defensive tackle, the nose man, Jordan Davis, the the threshold of possible achievement that's available to Davis this year is, as many of you are aware, just off the charts. And it is so interesting to think about what could happen over the course of these next few months for Davis. In fact, let me give you just a, a quick example of this right now. Ryan Wilson, one of the mock drafters for CBSSports.com, already has his early look ahead to the 2022 uh, draft, and he's got Davis as a first-round pick, has him going 29th overall. But it is what Wilson writes about Davis that's the most interesting here. Ryan Wilson for CBS Sports says of Jordan Davis in his 2022 mock draft that Davis is an enormous human being, we all know that to be true, who can clog running lanes all day long. We also know that to be true there as well. Let me just pause on this for one moment. Don't forget statistically how true this has been. When Davis first emerged for Georgia as a true freshman 2018, Georgia was, eh, they're kind of average at stopping the run. Last two years, Georgia's been the best rushing defense nationally. Uh, the last two years and obviously Jordan Davis is a big part of that but Ryan Davis goes on to say we know he can stop the run we know this big guy can clog the running lanes all day long but Ryan Wilson adds a little more to this let me see some more from the uh, Wilson quote if you don't mind uh, when it comes to uh, this Wilson right for cbssports.com but here's the but here's the here's where here's where Davis needs to improve he says we know he can stop the run but Davis is going to need to expand his pass rush repertoire mostly because he's only needed brute strength to beat most of the offensive lineman that he's lined up in front of so ryan wilson cbs sports who has jordan davis projected as the 29th pick in the 2022 upcoming nfl draft says we know he can stop the run we know he's a giant dude who can use his brute strength to get past most people but we're gonna have to see a little bit more technique from him a little bit more uh you know i guess quickness if you want to start bringing that into the discussion to kind of match uh what you expect from a from a first round pick defensive tackle i think this is really really interesting if you go back and look at some recent comps for davis in the sec 
We didn't have a twenty. We didn't have a defensive tackle, by the way, taken in the first round of the twenty twenty one NFL draft. So you have to go back a couple of drafts to find guys who kind of match up with what Davis uh, brings to the table here. There were two from the SEC in the twenty twenty NFL draft. There was uh, Derek Brown, obviously, who left Auburn. Javon Kinlaw, who obviously, left South Carolina. And if you look at the numbers those guys put up in their final seasons there playing in the SEC, you see a little bit of an idea for what Davis still needs to do to kind of provide what a guy like Ryan Wilson from CBS Sports says he's looking for. Derek Brown in his final season at Auburn had four sacks and 11 and a half tackles for loss. That's pretty active back in the backfield. Same thing for a guy like Javon Kinlaw, who had six sacks and six tackles for loss in his final year there at South Carolina. You want to go back to the year prior to that, Quinnen Williams leading leaving Alabama for the 2019 NFL draft had eight sacks and 19 and a half tackles for loss and that's a pretty amazing season maybe you don't count the Williams stuff quite so much just because that's you know pretty huge numbers but certainly the Brown thing and the Kinlon numbers those are fairly I think standard goals for a guy like Davis as he moves into what's going to be his final season there at Georgia now last year injury sorting season for Georgia for for Jordan Davis a shorter season all the way around just one tackle for loss one sack for Davis in 2020 he spent some time injured go back to 2019 though you see two and a half sacks four and a half tackles for loss so let's use that as a baseline for Davis right now uh can he find a way to get another couple sacks on top of that two and a half number can he find a way to get another you know couple three four tackles for loss uh number on top of what he was already able to do in kind of a full season there in 2019 if he can then obviously he puts himself in a position of making good on the prediction of a guy like ryan wilson that'll be a first round pick and by the way if davis can also do that as well and then all of a sudden you're talking about guys like Bear Alexander and guys like any other defensive lineman you might want to mention watching very closely what's happening is at UGA as this program becomes just as well known for what it's doing at the defensive line position as it is for what it's been doing for a number of years at a lot of other position groups. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia, and glad to have you with us no matter how you get to us today, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Radio at Noon, on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref, and as a podcast, wherever you find them, including the world-famous dognation.com. Just really happy to have you with us here today, and a big thanks to our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia for making it all possible. You know, ESOG, proud partner of UGA, makes them very fun to do business with. It's always good to support those who support UGA, and frankly, we're always appreciative of the way that you support those that support Dog Nation daily. ESOG been good friends of ours for a long time, and I love recommending them because I am a homeowner myself and I know the angst that can be produced if you see that water creeping in somewhere especially if it's basement or sometimes crawl space garage something along those lines or when you see those cracks that show up in the walls or the foundation or wherever else you're like is that supposed to be here is that normal you know well the, the folks at engineered solutions of georgia can answer that question for you they can tell you if you've got a problem or not and if it's a small fix they'll give you the information you need to just go to the hardware store and get something or if it's a more substantial issue than more reasons that's why you should trust my friends at engineered solutions of georgia they have two full-time engineers on staff they'll show up they'll do great work for you so very easy to get in touch with just remember this phone number call 678 esog now that's right dial that number 678 esog now that'll get you in touch with engineered solutions of georgia proud partners of uga good friends of ours here on dog nation daily and a great resource for you for any of your foundation waterproofing issues all right we will get connor riley coming up in just a moment uh, a lot to do with connor today by the way connor took a little bit 
of a shot at me on Twitter. We'll talk about that coming up in a couple of minutes there as well. So it'll be fun with Connor as part of a Kroger Fresh Take here in just one. But before that, though, I want to go around the doghouse. And let me just briefly say this. I don't mean to belabor the defensive line point because I have other things I want to talk about. Let me briefly uh, say this for a moment before we get there. In talking about Jordan Davis's numbers, as I just was a moment ago, and hey, can you can you add to those tackle for loss numbers to match what a Derek Brown or a Javon Kinlaw would have done in 2020? or what uh, certainly what a Quinnen Williams would have done leaving Alabama after the 2018 season of the 2019 NFL draft. If you are thinking about you know Jordan Davis matching some of that kind of stuff, here's one thing to keep in mind. When Kirby Smart was talking earlier this spring about uh, – you know, pass rush and the need to replace an Aziz Ojolari and how do you how do you do that? And obviously for a lot of the media folks, the question about that kind of gravitates towards the the Nolan Smiths and the Adam Andersons outside linebackers who now play a bigger role now that Ojolari is gone. But remember Kirby Smart on this, I don't have the audio to play for you on this today, but remember Kirby Smart on this that he said, listen, don't forget about Trayvon Walker doing something like that there as well. So when you're thinking about defensive linemen who can emerge as potential first-round picks, uh, obviously we, we talk a lot about Davis because he's being projected there right now. He's a year older. But keep Walker in mind on this too is someone who may have a chance to put a big sack total on the table because all of a sudden now he's getting a chance to do, as Smart said this spring, some of the things that Ojolari would have done a year ago. But also keep in mind that basic philosophy as well. That if Smart is saying, last year we were a good sack team, we got after the quarterback probably better than we had at any point in time in, in, in his tenure, Smart might say that. If, if, if that's what he's going to say about his pass rush and looking ahead to the 2021 season, kind of thinking, well, maybe some of the replication of what we've lost will be taken by uh, the Georgia defensive line there. There's also a chance that benefits Jordan Davis a bit, too. If, if, if Smart is saying those things about Trayvon Walker, then the idea that some of that could come Jordan Davis's way there as well, I think there's a chance that's, that's true, too. The, the point here in all of this is, is that this could really be a big-time coming-out party-type year for the Georgia defensive line. The expectations are there for Davis. He's already being mocked as a first-round pick. Smart, though, back during the spring, bringing up a guy like Trayvon Walker, really unprompted, mentioning him when the question was about somebody else. I think it's all there. And that's before you get to a guy like Jalen Carter, who's obviously not draft eligible for the upcoming year, but one of those guys that just generates a lot of buzz around the program right now. I don't think there's any more any position group on the Georgia roster right now that's more fun to kind of think about and imagine possibilities for than that Georgia defensive line. This could be a really, really big year for that group. So I was going to do offensive line for the for the around the doghouse. I ended up doing uh, some defensive line stuff there. I will uh, just pick this conversation up with Connor Riley. But before I bring him on the program, let me remind you there is still time. Now I have heard huge, huge. Um, uh, response to what we've been doing with the Atlanta Braves Friday May 21st a really fun time uh, to be there uh, at Truist Park the Battery Atlanta for our big event yet yeah, it all goes down Friday May 21st thank you Connor uh, for uh, showing this to us here today so so many of you've signed up let me give you the, the details on this one more time uh, here today because I know a lot of you want to still get in on this opportunity while there's a, a chance and availability to do so it's next Friday it's May 21st it's our dog nation days of summer there at the Battery Atlanta in the afternoon rolling right into the Braves Pirates there that night it's gonna start at 4 p.m. a reception of the Terrapin Tap Room the 
upstairs park there, which is just right next to us park in the battery. We're going to have dinner provided that night by Fox Brothers Barbecue. That's the in-house uh, food there for the Terrapin Tap Room. Unbelievable Fox Brothers Barbecue meal. We're going to give you uh, three tickets for uh, some uh, Terrapin beers there while we're there. we got Dog Nation giveaways we're going to do that night. Uh, some really cool stuff. I, I can promise you that. So we're going to give away some Dog Nation stuff to everybody who shows up there. Uh, we're going to have a chance for you to win some Braves autographed baseball, future Braves tickets, gift cards from the Terrapin Tap Room, and everybody, me, uh, a lot of the Dog Nation team, all of you, we're all going to get lower-level diamond corner tickets for the Braves game there that night against the Pittsburgh Pirates. It's going to be an incredible time. We're all going to be sitting there together, and it's all just $77. This is a great deal for a fun night. We're going to do a meet-and-greet and Q&A before it for our uh, reception there at 4 p.m. and a great time there watching the Braves there that night. It's Braves.com slash Dog Nation. You see that there on your screen. Check this out. Braves.com slash Dog Nation. Get your tickets there. Uh, hit me up on Twitter. Let me know when you did as so many of you already have i can't wait to see you all there for a dog nation days of summer event at truest park the battery atlanta friday may 21st braves.com slash dog nation please get your tickets while there's still availability on that all right lot to do before we're done today fun edition of our program thanks for being here let's talk to connor riley right now though as a part of a kroger fresh take and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead. Here's a DogNation.com insider. And we will say hello to Connor Riley, who has written a couple of very interesting things at DogNation.com over the last couple of days. And I want to talk to him about all of that. My original plan was to ask my first question to Connor on the basis of what I was going to say as a lead into Connor, but I ended up going along on the defensive line stuff. So let me kind of set this up this way and I'll bring Connor in on this. So yesterday we talked to John Stinchcomb about the situation with the Georgia offensive line, kind of going back to Friday's show where he talked about the role that the Georgia offensive line might play this year and, you know, obviously boosting Georgia's national championship hopes. And I think it's been interesting the last couple of days, you know, kind of marinating on some of this on the show, you have seen a little bit of praise out there for some Georgia offensive linemen. For instance, if you care about 2023 mock drafts, that's not next year's draft. That's the, the draft the year after that, which obviously is going to be prone to error. But Warren McClendon shows up as a potential first-round pick two years from now, at least according, I think it's a pro football network that had that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so two years from now, you're seeing McClendon earn some first-round buzz. Uh, Jamari Salyer has gotten some love as like, what, top five returning offensive linemen this year, according to Pro Football Focus. Which me, which for me provides a little bit of a of a kind of a unique challenge. Of yesterday, I mocked PFF for having Emory Jones a potential top ten pick. So can me? Can I possibly kind of snidefully reject Jones as a top ten pick, but then turn right around and praise their assessment of Jamar Salyer? No, as someone who is uh, pretty suspect of PFF and how they grade things out, uh, you know, you got to take the good with the bad. Yeah, so uh, I, I'm going to be a total hypocrite here if I laugh at PFF for what they said about Emory Jones, but use that same outlet as a way of saying, look how good Jamar Salyer is. But around here, we're we're expert communicators, so we'll find a way to do just that. But I've also seen some love out there for Justin Schaefer there as well. Uh, some of the uh, you know early look ahead to the upcoming season he's kind of gotten some love there too the point in all of this is you I think have been as loud a voice as anybody on this show saying I'm a little concerned about Georgia's offensive line going into the start of the season does any of the stuff that you've heard as of late cause you to change your mind about that at all no I just again that first game against Clemson if Georgia loses I have a pretty good feeling we're going to be talking about that offensive line coming out 
Uh, I mean, sure, I could certainly see the secondary playing a part, but Clemson, they're without their top three pass catchers yeah. from a season ago, whereas I mean, that defensive line has a very good case as being the best in the country with Brian Brzee, Tyler Davis, yeah. Miles Murphy, uh, you know, Xavier Thomas. They got so many five stars on that line, I'm, I'm not even bringing all of them up. So yeah. I, I, this offensive line, again, it's not a finished product. I don't think the starting five we see for game one is going to be the same starting five we see for game 13, potentially game 14, if you're a Georgia fan that is optimistic of a college football playoff berth. But this offensive line, again, Kirby said it's the area after the spring game where they've got to make the biggest leap forward, and I still don't know what that leap looks like or what that best five combination ends up looking like. And I'm not surprised that you're not changing your mind. I'm kind of glad you didn't because this is something we addressed on Friday's show that if you look at the stats from a group like, say, Football Outsiders, and I do like some of the stuff they do because to me it makes a lot more sense, you know, last year on the basis of how they measure you know your offensive line in terms of helping the rushing attack out Georgia was still you know around that kind of top 10 number what they call line Mm -hmm. yards the first few yards of a running play that we would assume created because of how wide the hole has opened up Georgia was like 11th in the country in that measurement a year ago but pass blocking wise and this is a very easy thing to understand the percentage of times you give up a sack when your quarterback drops back to pass Georgia was like 54th in, in that metric a year ago so the one spot where you can kind of measurably look at in a way that even a doofus like me can understand uh georgia probably gave up too many sacks a year ago at least to be kind of in that conversation of the nation's very best and so while i am happy to see some of the georgia guys earning some buzz and while i guess i'm a little bit more optimistic i guess bullish maybe the better word to use in terms of what i think the georgia offensive line could still be this year there is no doubt that statistically you can find an area in which if you're not good at that against clemson then you will be doing a just a disappointing show on monday talking about how you get back in the playoff conversation because clemson will absolutely beat a suspect offensive line right and you know with georgia and specifically their pass blocking yes they can do some things differently offensively to sort of help that area out get the ball out quicker but todd monkey wants to take deep vertical passing shots and those plays just take time to develop so you need guys who are going to be able to hold up in pass blocking the way i sort of think about offensive line play because i know pff and football outsiders they have a lot of numbers out there but really you know it's the famous line from i believe the 1973 uh, jacob ellis versus sure. ohio uh, supreme court case I can't give you a definition of what good or bad offensive line play is. I just know it when I see it. And if JT Daniels is under constant pressure and Georgia is struggling to run the football, we're going to know we saw some pretty bad offensive line play in that first game against Clemson. Well, one more quick follow-up to this, and then we'll change the subject. This is what John Sinchcomb said on our show last Monday. He said Because I, I asked him, I said, John, if I'm going to project a possible first-round year for JT Daniels, statistically, I'm capable of telling you almost exactly what that will look like. There's right. preponderance of evidence to point to that. Same thing with the running backs, same thing with wide receivers. If I, I can actually draw up a stat line mm-hmm. for a generic first-round pick at all those positions and come very, very close to hitting those numbers on the nose. I said, for offensive line, it's a little bit harder to do. So I said, what is a great season for Salyer? And he said, it's not hearing his name yep. sometimes, and it's certainly not having that TV broadcaster saying the name of the guy he's blocking over and over again. If it's all quiet on the, I guess, the eastern front if he's playing um if it's all qu- or western front maybe if it's all <laughs> if, if it's all quiet on whatever front salyer's protecting for you then you should probably assume that he's having a very good year yeah that's the thing and i and you know we've talked about potential first round picks i expect jamari to be a guy that gets me- 
mention for that. And, uh, you know, of the offensive linemen, I would say probably he and Warren McLennan are the ones I feel most comfortable with or, or at least solid in the sense that, you know, you're not going to hear their name a whole lot. But you might against Clemson just given what that defensive line has. So this is sort of a classic SEC story when it comes to uh, our Kroger Fresh Take here. Only down here would a guy who's not a coach at Georgia – leaving to go to Texas A&M where he's also not going to be a coach <laughs> only in the SEC would something like this get sort of wall-to-wall coverage where everybody's kind of talking about um you know this you know kind of over and over and over again and kind of dissecting every you know uh, you know specific detail of this but in a way Nick Williams leaving for Texas A&M at least has the potential of being something interesting and something worth talking about right yeah, I just want to pull up a graphic here from this morning. Uh, we're talking about BA's favorite team here and also the University of Georgia. You know, I tell you, I saw this on Twitter today, Connor essentially insinuating that a and is my favorite team because I have kind of touted them as a team on the rise in the SEC West, and I do enjoy giving my hot takes with the rest of this league. But a lot of folks on Twitter, you know, using Connor's tweet as a way of mocking me and making fun of me. I already get a lot of grief in our comment section because people think I talk too much about the Aggies, who I do think, by the way, could win the SEC uh, West here this year I'm certainly open to the possibility of selecting them as my pick to do so on that so Connor thank you on Twitter for adding more to the to the grief I already get from people who think I talk about the hey, you know I don't get a chance to talk all that much about AM, and I figured they're your favorite non-Georgia team I should clarify that there and I know some people might not get sarcasm but what AM is doing is really interesting to me and, and looking through what Jimbo Fisher is trying to build and, and just point about Bear, 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 Big Bear Alexander I think is a great one if a and to me, wants to take that next step, they've got to start recruiting better, which sounds weird from a Jimbo Fisher-led team, but you go back and look at some of the recruiting rankings. His first class, there, fourth. That's where they need to consistently finish, in that top five. Last two cycles, they finished sixth and eighth. It, Jimbo Fisher has gone out and he has made recruiting, a, I think especially with some of his recent hires, a bigger emphasis as they try to catch up and make up ground in Alabama because they – are very, I think they're very much like a 2018-2019 UGA right now in the sense in the way that they are trying to build themselves up and trying to play. They want to build along the lines of scrimmage and be a run-first team. They lose four offensive linemen from a year ago. They lose a couple defensive linemen from the draft. But they might have the best offensive lineman in the conference in Keon Green and maybe the best defensive lineman in the conference, and I don't take that lightly, into Marvin Leal on that other side there. So it's really interesting because essentially these two teams, I believe – are the two that are going to have the best opportunity to beat Alabama. I know you can mention yeah. LSU there. I want to see it from Ed Oderon again, if that's if, if whether or not 2019 is going to be a flash in the pan or not. And so now these two teams are essentially trying to figure out, hey, how do we beat Alabama? The problem that is obviously a problem for the rest of the country, but they have to deal with it first. A&M is pretty clearly trying to beef up its recruiting efforts to get better players so that it can help win there. Georgia doesn't have to worry about that because they've recruited so right. well, and so they are sort of going the schematic route, which Jimbo Fisher is a very well-regarded offensive mind and what has been, he has been able to draw and design up. So this story is interesting to me on a number of fronts because on the one hand, I talk about this a lot, where I like to see the areas in which there is no rule prohibiting something in college football, and the very best programs are always going to take advantage of those opportunities. Mm-hmm. For instance, you can't have more than 85 players. Yeah. That's, a, that's a rule that you can only do so much 
you know, to leverage against because there is a cap on the number of players you can have on your roster. There's a cap on the number of coaches you can have on your roster. You only have 10. But there's no limit to how much you can pay them. You yep. can pay a lot of money to keep good ones in place. And when it comes to the analysts, the off-field guys, there's also not a lot of prohibition against stuff like that. So the best programs are going to kind of find a way to kind of use that to your advantage. And similarly, and if you listen regularly, you've heard me say this a lot, that when a program spends big on people as opposed to sometimes buildings, yep. spending big on people is always going to be the thing that has a chance to pay the most dividends for your program. So, in other words, if there's no rule against, I'm assuming that Nick Williams must be getting a pretty sizable raise to go to the College mm-hmm. Station. Otherwise, why would you make what is essentially a lateral move unless it was for a lot of money? Uh if, if there's no rule against doing that, then a school like Texas A&M would be kind of crazy not to. And for in Williams' case, if they're offering a bunch of money, he'd be crazy not to take it. I'm not saying I'm glad he's gone. I'm just saying go get your money. You know, get that bag, as the kids like to say. Um, uh, so so my, my point is is that this is A&M kind of doing what a program with a lot of money should do. Yeah, and A&M has more money than anyone, mm-hmm. uh, as evidenced by Jimbo Fisher's massive contract they gave him to get him away from Florida State. I, I, I do wonder if maybe losing Williams is a little bit of a Will Muschamp tax, so to speak, in the sense that you bring him in as your analyst, and like he is clearly a superstar analyst, is clearly helping out on the recruiting front, and you know he's making good change, I believe $300,000 to be an analyst. Mm-hmm. That's that. I mean, I don't know how much every analyst makes, but I, I imagine it's not that much. So... I, I, I just wonder, you know, William saying, hey, maybe I don't have a huge opportunity at Georgia this year. Go to a place like AM where I, there are people he's familiar with James Coley, Marshall Malchow, who's the former director of player personnel at Georgia, who's now using that same role at Texas AM, and, and sort of continue to build up my my resume in that way because I absolutely believe Williams is going to be an on-field coach and probably at Georgia in the near future just given how well respected he is by recruits and by this coaching staff I think I think you're right about that how about though the angle of you know this is a guy that had been working with Georgia in its defensive line capacity kind of underneath Trey Scott there obviously with a relationship with a guy like Bear Alexander a recruitment that I already expected to remain contested throughout the end of this cycle I'm guessing that Texas A&M thinks they're pretty cute by bringing in Williams uh, clearly as a, a way of trying to get back in it with Bear Alexander. Now, now simultaneous to this, my thought is if Georgia really thought this would swing the balance of power, then they would have paid him a million dollars. They yeah. had to keep him like you know. It's like Georgia's not going to get beat, you know, money whipped uh, when it comes to uh, you know a, a situation like this. So my guess is Georgia doesn't think that the the balance power shifts with Williams' departure, but Texas A&M clearly is doing this with an eye towards recruiting in the 2022 yeah. class, almost for certain. Yeah, you can't. What I said earlier about Jimbo Fisher, Big Bear Alexander is exactly the type of recruits Texas A&M needs to land every single cycle if they're going to get to a place where they can continually play against Georgia and Alabama. And if he still ends up going to Georgia, like that's a pretty sizable L for Texas A&M. And I don't know if it's going to get talked about come National Signing Day because if, if – Alexander ends up signing it'll have ended up being you know oh this was a guy who was committed for a long time committed on national signing day 2020 or I guess technically 2021 but that's a big recruiting loss for a program that pretty clearly can't afford many of those as it does try to catch up to Alabama yeah I mean for me and I very much expect Georgia to hold on to Alexander but if and when it does Connor, this is about as impressive a recruiting move as I've seen from Smart. And certainly yep. you know, from, from Trey Scott. If you go in and get 
you know, five-star defensive tackle from a place like Texas. That's a state you have no geographic yep. advantage in. That's, you know, many hundreds of miles away. I mean, how many recruiting wins would have Georgia have gotten that were more, oh my gosh, I can't believe Georgia did that. Yeah, um, I mean, there wouldn't be a long list for me. Now, there's a lot of national recruiting wins, but a lot of these are in states where it's essentially fair right. game for everybody. This is Texas where there's a huge home field advantage for the programs that recruit in that state. Georgia going in and getting Alexander is about as big a flex as Georgia's had. Right. Clay Webb comes to mind. Uh, I know you can mention George Pickens, but Alabama was not in on him. Yeah. Alabama and Clemson were in on Clay Webb as, mm-hmm. as far as going into enemy territory. You could say Cade Mays as well. And interestingly enough, neither of those guys has really had the careers that you would think that they would have. And Mays obviously ends up going back yeah. to Tennessee there. So those two names probably jump out. But A&M, I think, is a different animal. And Alexander in particular, because, again, we mentioned how Texas a wants to build along the lines of scrimmages. Alexander is just a monster defensive lineman and will probably end up being one of, if not the best defensive line prospect in this class, maybe only behind Walter Nolan there. So uh, to me, that is something that where A&M absolutely knows that they cannot lose this guy. And Williams having a strong relationship with Alexander helps him parlay that into a nice analyst role there in Texas A&M. I want to ask about the transfer portal here in a moment. You wrote something interesting about that yesterday. Let me remind folks, though, before we get to that, this is our Kroger Fresh Take with Connor Riley here today. And, of course, Kroger got you covered as we start heading towards graduation. I always kind of I enjoy this time of year when you start seeing those signs pop up around all the neighborhoods and obviously you know graduation parties, things like that. You start seeing some this on your social media there as well i'm like i'm hopelessly nostalgic and just kind of sentimental and so graduation kind of always brings that up for me well for those of you who are celebrating a graduate this year and so thankful that many of these celebrations this year are going to be a lot better than they were maybe a year ago for all of that Kroger's got you covered. You can order platters for the big party, uh, flowers, balloons as a way of celebrating, the perfect gift card, greeting card, whatever else. It's all getting ready for graduations. Kroger.com slash graduation for more on that. Kroger.com slash graduation. They'll get you covered on that today. So you wrote an interesting piece yesterday, Connor, about Henry Toa the former Tennessee linebacker now on his way to Alabama, and what the, I guess, the big bold move for Alabama, bringing in a, a name that, a lot of SEC fans, most plugged-in SEC fans, were pretty aware of Toa Toa, what he was doing there in Knoxville, now being there in Tuscaloosa. And you think there's a potential takeaway here for Georgia there as well. For people who haven't read your uh, Good Day UGA piece at DogNation.com about that, set us up for that conversation here for a moment. Yeah, so Alabama, I think, like Georgia, has operated under the, you know, we'll take a transfer if he thinks he really helps us, but more often than not, we prefer to bring in high school recruits and, and guys who come up through that pipeline. And Alabama going out and bringing in a Tennessee player in Henry Toyota signals to me that, hey, one, there is the expectation that the SEC is now going to change its transfer policy rule because Alabama is absolutely not wasting a scholarship for someone who will not be able to help them this year. And two, it's fair game for them. And if you're a really good player, and granted, Toyota, obviously the whole situation blowing up at Tennessee, him having a past relationship with that Alabama staff, Alabama was the runner-up in his recruitment back in, I guess, the 2019 mm-hmm. recruiting cycle – this is something that Georgia pretty clearly is going to have to adopt going forward as well because Kirby Smart has, I think, been very conservative in terms of how he uses the portal. And to his credit, it has worked so far. Georgia continues to recruit very well, doesn't piss off a lot of people, if I can even say that on here, and and really use the transfer portal very selectively. Obviously, they bring in Tyke Smith. And if the SEC is going to open things up, because you know I, I didn't get a chance to write this, but you think of a guy like Demetrius Robinson, who, yes, yeah. came from a Power 5 level, but for, I would say, the first couple of years, really struggled with the physicality and speed 
in the SEC. If you're pulling dudes who've already had SEC playing experience, you don't have to worry about that. And so I'm not saying Kirby Smart needs to go turn some early young coach at say uh, Georgia Tech where they Photoshop you know fans out of the out of the picture or whatnot and try and bring in as many transfer recruits as you can. But he is going to, I think, if the SEC passes this, be a little bit more open to bringing in guys who have that SEC playing experience through the transfer portal. Yeah, I think that on the practical level, you're right. You know, for a school like Georgia, who oftentimes is going to kind of feel like, hey, we're just one player away. You know, if you if, mm-hmm. if we had you know perfect player at this so and so position, then the chances of being a national championship contender rocket skyrocket up then obviously not leveraging the transfer portal for that would be i mean it'd be foolish not to do that i think practically speaking you're correct i guess i don't know i just don't see toe toe going to alabama as a good thing for the sec and a good thing for college football which i know is a different argument than what you're making and this is where you know some non-georgia fans say i'm hypocritical about this i totally admit that i am um if georgia could have gotten say a rick gilbert as a for instance i would have celebrated on this show for three weeks if georgia had gotten him but is it good for college football if you know a, a guy like that's quickly bouncing from one school to the next because the grass is somewhere greener i, I think like in my head i sort of know that's probably not a good thing i, I said this yesterday i know this seems like melodramatic but i but i mean this i think there's some tennessee fans when they see a player that they grew to love all of a sudden playing for their biggest rival the very next year, I think that's going to turn some people off to the idea of college football in general. They're just going to find they're just going to go hunting. They're going to find something else to do on their on their fall Saturdays. This is the kind of thing that makes some people less of a fan of the sport. Yeah, and I'm not you know Toto in specific is very obviously very different than I, I think most examples, yeah. so to speak. You know, Brenton Cox I would probably say fits that box maybe a little bit more. Where if he was eligible right away after going from Georgia to Florida because he had just gotten beaten out by other players, I, I think that makes you a little bit more, is this really a good thing? And, and that's certainly a fair question. I know in the past, the reason Kirby Smart hasn't been for that is because more often than not, schools like Georgia and Alabama, they're going to end up losing out because of this transfer portal and allowing players to transfer within the SEC because you saw last year. Otis Reese and Cade Mays go from Georgia to Ole Miss and Tennessee, programs that are still within the SEC but clearly a step down from Georgia, and they go in and start making immediate impacts there. And you know, you wonder if Major Burns is going to do something similar there at LSU this coming year if that's where he ultimately ends up and that's where it's believed he is going to. And so, well, yeah, sure, landing Henry Toa Toa is, you know, it's a nice pelt on the wall for Alabama, so to speak. I don't think Henry Toa changes the championship outlook for Alabama all that much. They still need Bryce Young to be a really, really good player, retool that offensive line, and have some wide receivers there step up. So, you know, yes, it, 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 it's big, celebratory, or whatever, but again, I don't think this changes Alabama's fate. And, and to your point, and to Kirby's point, more often than not, schools like Georgia and Alabama are going to be hurt by this more so than being helped. Well, so I, so I disagree with that. I want to talk about that part in a moment, but uh, let me kind of follow up on something else you just said before we get there. I think this is a much bigger story for Vols fans seeing a guy they thought was their guy, mm-hmm. recruiting when they celebrated. And, you know, they've fallen hard times. And, you know, the rules now just allow a guy to just go to a happier, better place. And just like that, he ends up playing for Alabama. I think this is worse for Tennessee than it is good for Alabama because the truth is, whether it's Toe Toe or somebody else, my assumption is Alabama's going to have a good, productive player in every one of their spots. Whether it's a Tennessee transfer or a five star they recruited out of high school or whatever else, my assumption is Alabama will have good players at every position. It just so happens this happens to be a Tennessee transfer they may be utilizing. I think, though, it's – I just think it's 
de- I don't know if demeaning is the word I'm looking for here, but it's just sort of it's it's going to hurt the morale of a, of a school, of program like Tennessee fans of the Vols. And listen, Georgia fans love to see Tennessee fans, you know, feeling demeaned uh, and diminished. But it's got to hurt the morale of Tennessee fans. No, just like that, our best guy can go play against us the moment we've kind of fallen hard times. Well, yes, but don't you think this is also a little bit of an extreme example, just given how spectacularly everything blew up at Tennessee? And like, if Jeremy Pruitt is still the head coach at Tennessee, which I know we've talked about before. If Jeremy Pruitt's still there, I believe Henry Toa is still there as well. Could be. I mean, you may, you may be right about that, and, and maybe this will end up being feeling like more like an outsider, kind of out, uh, you know, kind of outside the, the the norm. And I hope certainly hope that's the case. As far as your point, though, that the portal ends up hurting a school like Bama or Georgia because of the level that it recruits more so than helps. Boy, I'm not quite so sure that's true either. Because I mean, we said this at the time that you can make a you know. A big push to allow the immediate eligibility for the intra-conference transfers and that all seems well and good when it's an Otis Reese leading Georgia to go to a place like Ole Miss that seems to the average person to kind of create more balance and parity within the SEC but we said the time that eventually this is just going to be another weapon that the programs like Alabama use to take good players off bad teams we've seen this in sports forever that that somehow some way the good players get off the bad teams and they end up going to the better teams and this to me is how happening just as quick as I assumed that it would that the transfer portal would be just another way for the rich to get richer and the you know the average player on the average roster sort of crossing his fingers and hoping he still has a spot to play next year well but has Georgia gotten richer off of this so far because you look at guys like Jermaine Johnson Tyreek Stevenson and I'll even include Cade Mays in there as well guys who are starters and partial contributors going elsewhere to be legitimate star players and I think you're going to see especially from Georgia a lot more of that yeah I mean I guess it kind of circles back to the point that we eventually that I think you made to start all this off is is that maybe Georgia has been a little slower than some schools to like fully embrace this but the moment they do then I think that Georgia I'm assuming will be just as effective as recruiting transfer players as they are as recruiting high school players right to me it still remains to be seen if that's if that's how Georgia wants to proceed going forward it is certainly a very interesting topic Connor uh great stuff at dognation.com I'll invite everybody to go and read uh the stuff on the Nick Williams uh departure today the stuff on the transfer portal from yesterday good day UGA showing up there at dognation.com just some of the great content that Connor's got Connor thanks for being here as well as part of our Kroger Fresh Day yep as always was a pleasure Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So uh, good stuff all the way around there from Connor Riley. It's part of our Kroger Fresh Take here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. And, of course, uh, Connor mocking me for my Texas A&M love, at least the perception of my Texas A&M love. As I say all the time, I need that in my life because, let's face it, you sit in a studio like this, you got the bright light shining on you, microphone in front of you, a bunch of cameras, you know, someone of a uh, of lesser character and integrity could become uh, you know, maybe a little bit conceited big-headed about all the you know the stuff that goes on around you in a day like this so or on a, on a you know just a daily basis so it's nice to have folks on social media or a comment section or whatever kind of bringing me back down to earth i always need all that kind of stuff so i'm happy that connor contributes to that and happy that those of you do that as well with that in mind though as we transition to our sec through i will talk about texas a&m just a little bit more because i think this is really interesting so obviously many of you are now aware of the other day when Fisher, Jimbo, the A&M coach, goes in his rubber chicken booster club circuit and doing what coaches have been doing for decades, kind of gets in the room there and gets the crowd going. And as someone who's kind of spoken at events like this before, when you get the microphone in your hand and the crowd's cheering what you're saying, 
it does become very easy to, as they say in wrestling, cut a promo where all of a sudden, you know, you're just kind of feeding off the crowd and, 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 you know, just getting, you know, more and more amped up, the more and more amped up they get. It's very easy to want to do that in a situation like this, coaches obviously included. And so, so Fisher talked about how that they weren't going to wait until Nick Saban was gone from Alabama to beat his behind. Fisher used a different word, but I'll clean it up for the family friendly audience here. He said we're going to do that while Nick Saban's still the coach. We're essentially not going to have to wait. And everybody kind of, you know, cheered about that. There was a local reporter who was in the room with Fisher that day, kind of publicized what Jimbo had said. All of a sudden, it becomes big news. Got other SEC coaches responding to this. The other day, Nick Saban was on video. He had a very funny response upon hearing this, and uh, a lot of folks kind of had some fun with that. So this has been a big story, the back and forth between Jimbo Fisher and what he said about Alabama, even though it's what coaches have done in the past. There is no local stories anymore. Everything goes viral pretty quick. And so the other day, Jimbo Fisher's doing a local radio interview for a station, I believe it was in Austin, and he was asked if he wanted to back off or kind of walk back some of the initial comments that he made. And Fisher didn't didn't back down from it. He said, yeah, what else do we want to do? Of course we want to go out there. Of course we want to beat Nick Saban in Alabama, and that's exactly what we expect to do. So I guess in a roundabout way, I'm actually somewhat impressed that, that Fisher, knowing that the media now is treating this as bulletin board material for Alabama, it's kind of not backing down from this. I think this is really fun. We obviously don't get enough of this in college football sometimes where big coaches do have some fun back and forth with each other. Obviously, Kirby Smart goes way out of his way not to contribute to any of the kind of this stuff whatsoever. And I guess in a way that kind of benefits Georgia. But when coaches are willing to have some fun with this, the way that Fisher seems to be kind of buying into this, the way that Nick Saban didn't shy away from it the other day. I think that's just kind of fun for the rest of us in college football there as well. So good for Jimbo for not backing down from this and uh, good for, uh, you know, the whole SEC for obviously what's going to be an anticipated matchup in the SEC West later on this season. I saw where 2023 quarterback Arch Manning has planned a series of visits upcoming. One of those apparently going to be the University of Georgia, according to some reporting there at 24-7 Sports. This is kind of interesting because, you know, the Manning recruitment 2023 is going to be gigantic. You know, Arch is obviously well known because of his last name, but certainly you get the impression that he is more than just his last name. This is one of those things that's almost like a story too perfect to be true, like, you know, third generation Manning quarterback this is a Cooper Manning son uh so the I guess is it nephew he'd be the nephew of both Peyton and Eli here so this is the third generation Manning I I don't know that I would consider George the leader in his recruitment but obviously Kirby does have a relationship with the Manning family you remember uh when Peyton Manning was speaking and doing some interview stuff back during that golf tournament way back during the pandemic lockdown like the first sporting event we had when uh Peyton and Tiger and Phil Mickelson Tom Brady were we're all doing their thing you know you know Peyton was talking about Kirby Smart at one point in time in that with the idea of wearing the the Tiger Woods red or whatever else so clearly the Mannings and Smart you know kind of have a little bit of a relationship with each other and obviously George is kind of you know one of the hats on the table it would seem for Arch Manning right now and we'll see if it goes beyond that we're only kind of just now getting into the real heat of the of the you know the arch manning recruitment and obviously georgia stacked quarterbacks in recent years but as we head more towards that 2023 cycle uh, this is going to be a big one all the way around by the way speaking of big ones uh so we're uh, george Co- former georgia coach mark rick is touting for the possibility of a 32 team playoff <laughs> it seems like a lot of playoff i mean listen i uh i like college football as much as the next guy and obviously would want more of it that to me more college football is always better than less but a 32 team playoff seems to be uh, uh 
uh, that seems to be a pretty bloated playoff all the way around, but kind of an interesting idea from Rick out there on that. And then finally, a follow-up to a story that we briefly mentioned yesterday. I use story in air quotes. So we talked about on like late Sunday night, and I said this to you yesterday, that normally I'm not awake Sundays at midnight. I just happened to be this past Sunday because I'd been at the Braves game. So I come home and I'm just, you know, you're checking your phone to see what you missed while you've been, you know, kind of away doing something with your family. You see Justin Ross trending on Twitter and there's like these transfer rumors out there. And I told you yesterday that I'm like trying to find like the genesis of all this. Like, what is the patient zero for the Justin Ross transfer rumor? And the best I could tell, there wasn't any kind of source material for this. This was one of those things that seemed to be almost like artificial intelligence sort of went viral, uh, almost like bots had created this virality of the uh, Justin Ross transfer rumor. There was literally seemingly no source material whatsoever. Well, uh, Justin, the Clemson wide receiver, has come out to uh, correct the record here, jokingly saying on Twitter himself that it must have been a slow news day that no, he has no plans to transfer. So Ross, the big time receiver who's obviously dealt with some medical you know, stuff there at Clemson, but also coming back here on the heels of a huge freshman season in 2018 is is, you know, kind of prominently mentioned as a as a possible first round pick as he returns to Clemson here for 2021. Obviously, one of the big names to know on the other side of Georgia's big season opener against the Tigers in Charlotte. Ross, who was the subject of some recruiting rumors over the weekend, says, no, those are not true. And we'll make that your SEC through. And as we wrap up here today, let me remind you, you can be a part of our Gator Hater Roll Call by hitting me up on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily. Share with me your Gator hating credentials, and you could be the winner of our Golden Shoe, which we give out each and every day. In fact, we've got one to give out today. Uh, pretty funny stuff. A uh, clever edit being shared here. We'll show this to you on the screen as a part of our Golden Shoe here today. This is, uh, I think it's Dej Paget 92 if I'm saying that right. Maybe it's DJ. DJ Paget 92 uh, shares somebody trying to get a tattoo showing up the uh, gator logo to be tattooed on the back but it's actually a toilet that gets tattooed on the back instead of the uh, gator here a uh, very clever edit from someone shared with us there by uh, uh, dj Paget or dej Paget. you are the winner of our golden shoe here today always a very funny thing to be able to see and speaking of those lousy stinking gators georgia goes back to jacksonville 172 days from right now that is our gator hater countdown we'll see you tomorrow dog nation daily presented by engineered solutions of georgia and on the podcast time now for rs andrews podcast to cool down of course rs andrews can take care of you for your air conditioning heating plumbing electric needs you can find them online at rsandrews.com the rs stands for rapid service i got an interesting tweet from orin chile and of course if you want to be a part of our podcast cool down when I post the show every day at dognation.com, there's a comment section there at the bottom of that page, and you can write your comment there, and I'll read it here as part of this. Or you could hit me up, HMU, I believe is the kids say on Twitter. You can, uh, just on social media in general, you can uh, hit me up and uh, on Twitter at dognationdaily, and I will also read those comments there as well. I got an interesting one from Oren Cheely on the subject of the name, image, likeness stuff. And, you know, listen, I've just kind of grown to be skeptical of all of this name image likeness everything else because i have a tendency to think that i don't quite trust the motives of the people who are the most in favor of this kind of thing even though i'm not personally against you know player making a little bit of money on the side or whatever else or in chile though gave an interesting comment he said this sec transfer rule uh uh i can think of only one scenario where na the name image likeness stuff might help he says let's say you have a kid who loves the college life and all that entails for a star player 
If you can earn an extra 50 grand per year out of high school as a name, image, and likeness, you know, endorser type person, it may keep him in school for his senior year. And that's certainly true that for guys, I mean, there are some players who don't want to leave college, right? I mean, there are, as Oren says, there are some players who love that college life and they would like to stay in college. Maybe the chance to make a little extra money is the incentive they need to be able to do that. And that could very well be true. By the way, Anthony White uh, checked in to say happy well, for his birthday. Happy birthday to you, Anthony. Appreciate all of that. Also, a lot of folks continuing to react to what we talked about on the show here this morning, which is the situation with the Georgia defensive line. And in keeping with the continued series that we've had about who are those names that could potentially become first-round picks off this Georgia roster? Can you find a way to get to a half dozen? In terms of possible names for Georgia, there's there's no doubt that there's the potential there to be able to do that. It's just who can you actually construct from a potential name to a true breakout, a guy that really does kind of emerge in that spot. And I think that the defensive line for Georgia continues to rank as arguably the most interesting position on this team because there's a chance that you have not just one first rounder here if things go the right way you could eventually get two with a guy like Trayvon Walker as well smart said some really nice things about Trayvon Walker if you want to go back to the spring so I think that's worth keeping in mind and obviously what what kind of stands at the at the forefront for what might be possible for Jordan Davis there as well based on some of the stuff we said uh, a little bit earlier this is a really fun time for Georgia football with so much out in front of this program and so many expectations that also kind of stand as justified expectations and man I'm just getting more excited about the season each and every day about the energy that's going to exist around that season opener against Clemson and all the folks who are hoping to secure tickets for that game and the hope that you can have full crowds and everything that goes along with that it could truly be a really fun time and for those of you that continue to allow Dog Nation daily in particular certainly dognation.com to help get you ready for all of that we certainly appreciate that and we're we're excited about the spring and the summer that's still on its way hope many of you'll make plans to be with us on may 21st for our dog nation days of summer event with the atlanta braves there at the battery atlanta and truest park before the braves take on the pittsburgh pirates just going to be a great time can't wait to see all of you there for that also We'll see you back here tomorrow for R.S. Andrews podcast cool down. Find them online at rsandrews.com. They'll take care of you for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. Have a great day, everybody. See you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia.